From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to the worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. And I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. And this is God's word. Please be seated. Jonah chapter 2. That is our lesson for this morning. You know, uh, every, every time I'm up on the stage with uh, Roger, I, I feel like Tony Parker next to his Tim Duncan. And I'm just waiting for the day when he kind of reaches over and puts his hand on top of my head and rubs it a little bit. <laughs> Jonah chapter 2. Uh, there's an outline in your announcement sheet. You can use it as we go through the study. Uh, the slides are going to help you fill in the blanks there. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to sing and to sing these great songs, Father, that, that express our faith and express um, the, the sentiments of our hearts and the longings of our soul and the thoughts of our mind when it comes to being in your presence and for all of the ways that you've blessed us. We're grateful. We're so grateful for everything that you've done. And our prayer, Father, is that as we study these words, these ancient words this morning, that you will change us and that these words will become embedded in, in our, our filters, the way that we think and, and perceive and discern life all around us in order to respond in, in every instance with faith. And not just a, a, a believing faith, but a faith that is courageous, that brings glory to you, Father, and honors you and shows just how precious you are to us. So please, Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask, give us eyes that see and ears that hear. And we pray all of this in the name of our Savior Jesus and all the church said. Well, again, we're studying this little book in the Old Testament, this character by the name of Jonah. And I think that one of the problems that we, we deal with when we come to Jonah is that there are a lot of people who think that they know the story of Jonah, but they, they don't, not, not really. The average person usually associates Jonah with one other character. If you ask anybody, somebody on the street, they're going to think that the story is of Jonah and the whale. And the whale's name is Monstro, and Jonah is running away from Geppetto, and it's because he wants to be a real boy. And people kind of get fuzzy on that point a little bit after that. 
Now the story, believe it or not, does not actually even mention the word whale in it. The story does not actually mention the word whale in it, and then, uh, which is really kind of significant, which we're going to look at in a couple of minutes, that it doesn't mention the word whale, but the, the great fish. Now, last week we looked at the first chapter. The word of God comes to Jonah to go to Nineveh, the strange foreign city, powerful, murderous foreign city, and to tell them what God wants. And Jonah doesn't want to do that. And so he gets on a ship to go to Tarshish in the opposite direction. And so God sends a storm and the ship is going down. And Jonah tells him, throw me over the side. And then these pagan sailors get converted and they start worshiping the God of Israel out there in the middle of the sea. Jonah goes over the side of the boat and the storm stops. He's going down into the sea and he thinks he's going to die. And that's where we left him last week and that's where we're going to pick him up at this point. Now, I want to ask you to do something this morning um, uh, that actually you should, should probably do every time you go to the Bible, but, but pretend or imagine that you've never heard this story and imagine what it's like to hear it for the very first time. Jonah sinking into the sea, but God appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah is inside the fish three days, three nights, I don't know. I'm not expecting that if I'm reading this story for the first time. Seems kind of funny. It's an unusual, unexpected detail. And I, I think it's, it's supposed to be, and we'll get into that later, but this is a brilliantly told story. Now that word appointed that, that Roger read for us in Jonah chapter 2 a couple of minutes ago, that word in Hebrew can be translated commission. It's a governing word. It's the word that a king would use if he was going to appoint an ambassador or he was going to commission somebody on a trip or to commission a messenger. It's something that you do to a person, but here it's a fish. It's not a human being. It's a fish. And the picture is uh, that the, the writer's trying to get across, as my Old Testament professor John Willis used to say, this, that this is a special God-created Jonah-swallowing fish. And God says, fish. And the fish says, yes, Lord. And the Lord says, go pick up Jonah. Directions will be given on a need-to-know basis, but this is really important. Swallow, don't chew. And I'll tell you where to drop him off a little bit later. And the fish says, okay, Lord, this is really an odd story. But the point is, is that Jonah is not, is not there in, in this fish in everyday life. It's, it's, it's not everyday, ordinary life, a human being surviving in a fish for three days. The point is, it would take a miracle. It would take a tremendous, grand miracle for this to happen. And one of the questions we have to ask ourselves, even as longtime members of the Lord's Church, as Christians for a long time, do we really believe, the real question is this, do we really believe that miracles are possible? Do we believe that God does the impossible? At the heart of our faith is this claim. That there is a God who is all-powerful, who created everything, and that is so mighty that He can even bring His Son back from the dead in a resurrection, which means that He didn't hit death and bounce back, but He went through it, squeezed through death to the other side. Do we believe that? We believe that this happened in history once, called the resurrection, and because we believe that's true, nothing is impossible to God, right? 
Nothing is impossible. If He can raise Jesus from the dead, I think He can keep a guy in storage in a fish for a few days. Why? Because He's a great God. He is a great God. And the primary word associated with God in the story is, is great. If I were going to pick you know, one word in this book, the book of Jonah, that word would be great. It starts off by God saying to Jonah, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh. Because it turns out that God is a God with a great heart. And that He has a great heart for the great city of Nineveh. But Jonah decides to run the other way. And so God says, the Bible says that God sends a great wind that produces a great storm. And then all of these pagan sailors that are on this boat in the middle of this great storm where Jonah has gone to get away from God, they're all converted through a great fear. Then God appoints this great fish for Jonah. The word that is associated with God in this book is great. Anybody here want to guess what the word associated with Jonah is in this book? It is, it is down. God is doing something great in the story. Jonah, on the other hand, messes everything up. If the main word for God in this book is great, the main word for Jonah, the one that keeps popping up over and over again, is the word down. The main word for Jonah is down. Jonah is going down. God says, go to Nineveh, and Jonah goes down to Joppa, the port city. Then he goes down on the ship, down to Tarshish. And then in the boat, he goes down into the hole, the bottom of the boat, where he is sleeping. And then he goes down into the water in the storm, and then he goes down into the great fish. Jonah has hit rock bottom. And in the eyes of, of the Israelites, as they're hearing this story and reading about it, in their mind, you can't get any lower than that. The sea, as we've talked about on many occasions, the sea in the Hebrew mind was a place of great fear, a place of great terror. It is a place of death. It's uncontrollable. It's a place of great power that human beings are vulnerable to. Now guess what Jonah does in the fish? He prays. From the guts of the fish, Jonah is praying to the Lord his God. It says in verse 2, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you what? And you what? And you what? Listened. Listened to my cry. I want you to circle in your Bible, or maybe write out on your outline, the words from the depth of the grave. We're going to come back to that uh, a little bit later. But this is what he prays from the guts of the fish. Jonah had gone a long time, I think, without honestly praying to God. He had gotten this word to go to Nineveh, but he goes down to Joppa. And there's nothing in the text that says that he prayed about the decision to go to Joppa. Which kind of makes sense when you think about your own willful sinfulness, right? I mean, how many times have we prayed, Lord, I know this is against your will, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm just letting you know. We don't do that. I don't think that, that this is how he prayed. And he gets on the ship to Tarshish, but he doesn't pray about the ship or any of the people that are on it. He's not talking to God at all, at least not honestly, until he ends up in the sea in a fish. Now, what do you think Jonah prayed to the fish? Or, or prayed in the fish? Why, did, why, did, why, why would Jonah pray in the fish? The answer is he had nothing better to do. I mean, think about it this way. 
What else are you going to do in that circumstance in a fish? You're at the bottom of the ocean or the sea inside of a fish. You have nowhere else to turn. I tell you, and it's kind of a humbling thing, do you know why in our world we have such a hard time praying? And I'm being uh, probably a little, a little self-confessional at this point. The reason that I think so many of us, even though we believe with all of our heart that God is God and that His Son is Christ and that His Spirit is, is, is delivered to us uh, uh, an inspired Word and, and resides inside of us and is sanctifying us and all of, created the heavens and the earth and all of the Bible... Why, why do we struggle with prayer even though we believe all that? It's because we have so many other things to do. I mean, think about it. We have so many other things to do. We have so many crutches. Think about the number of screens that you turn on in your day, from cell phone screens to television screens to computer screens to iPad screens to screens that are in restaurants to screens that are at work to screens that are at home. That screens are now even on the dashboard of your, of your car. And there are so many noises that we can produce that allow us to avoid having to face what is going on in our minds and our hearts. We just have other things to do. And so God brings Jonah down. God brings Jonah down, 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 down to a place of desperation in a fish at the bottom of the sea. And Jonah prays because he is at rock bottom and he has no place to go but up. And the whole first chapter of the story of Jonah is really about Jonah's action. Jonah makes plans. Jonah has resources. Remember, he has money in order, which was very rare in that day. He has money in order to buy passage on this boat out of Joppa going to Tarshish. He has resources. Jo Jonah is going to go places. And he's going to wield the, 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 the power of his options. And it turns into a disaster. A storm hits, and Jonah's story, his action, comes to a grinding halt. And in the second chapter of Jonah, Jonah's not doing anything. There is no action at all, just prayer. Just prayer. Just prayer, and then the good stuff starts to happen for Jonah. Jonah goes as low as you can go. And that's part of the point of the story to the Israelites. You know, there was that old song. In fact, uh, I, I think I learned it in the 1960s from Captain Kangaroo. There's a hole in the bottom of the sea. That, that's sort of what's happening with Jonah. There's a man in the guts of a fish in a storm by the boat in the bottom of the sea. And it doesn't get any worse than that. And in the bottom of the sea, Jonah discovers that God is there. Verse 3. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Verses 5 and 6. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, but you, God, brought my life up from the pit. O Yahweh, my God. Jonah has come to realize that what looks so bad, hitting the bottom, 
And on the way, the wind, the storm, getting thrown overboard, in some ways, many ways, actually the best thing that ever happened to him because it brought him back to God. And God is the one that's doing great things. And sort of a little aside here, a, a, a little time out. I mean, just uh, no show of hands. But have you ever been at, at some point in your life, there's a circumstance or a situation or a relationship or there's, there's, there's something that's going on that you can't control in your body or in that relationship or at work, and you feel like you're a little bit over your head, what do you do? You pray. You pray. Is it your fault that you're in that mess? Yeah. Most of the time. Maybe not, but even if it is your fault that you're in that, that predicament, Pray anyway. Have you not been living the kind of life you think God wants you to live? You pray anyway. You pray. Are you concerned because the honest truth is right now, even if you were to pray, your motives are kind of mixed and you're really more selfishly concerned about your own well-being than you really are about God's will? Pray anyway. Pray anyway. Because this is the truth I want you to leave here with. God is never more than a prayer away. God is never more than a prayer away. One of the most amazing things about God is that He is, he is gracious beyond our ability to understand it. Not just the motives, but the depths and the heights of, of that love and that grace and, and that gracious, merciful way of treating us and interacting with us. And even when Jonah or you or, 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 or myself, we come to God and j just because we've hit bottom. And just because we have nowhere to look but up and we have nowhere else to go, you know what God says? Okay, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And Jonah does, and God hears. And Jonah gets delivered. But again, this is a very odd book. And what happens next in this story is... is it's, it's, it's really humorous. It's sort of slapstick. I would not mention it except it's in the Bible, so we have to talk about it. First, Jonah gets delivered on the third day. Now, the third day in the Bible is a big day in Bible stories. Abraham sees Mount Moriah on the third day in Genesis chapter 22. Laban gets told that Jacob has fled from his camp on the third day, Genesis 31. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer was released from prison on the third day after Joseph interpreted his dream, Genesis 40. It was the third day that Joseph left, let his brothers go back to Israel to get their youngest brother. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai on the third day, Exodus chapter 19. In the book of Leviticus, there were instructions in what you would do with the leftovers of the sacrifices on the third day. You could go on and on and on. And in the Old Testament, often when there was this dramatic rescue, when, when God comes, comes shining through, riding through the clouds, and there's this dramatic rescue, like Hezekiah's illness on the part of God, it often would come on the third day. So a reader is expecting, in a normal Bible story, that Jonah is going to get some dramatic rescue. There's this rescue event, a visitation from angel, the, the angel Gabriel, and, or he'll fly home on, a, on a, a chariot of fire, or he's beamed up in, in some kind of a prayer or something like that. But that's not what happens in this story. Verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish 
and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now the Hebrew word here is the word that kind of sounds like what it's translated into in English. The word means to disgorge. It means to spew out. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very uh, uh, a descriptive word. And one of the commentators, a fellow by the name of Leslie Allen, writes this on, this on this verse 10. He says, Yahweh speaks to the fish, His instrument of salvation for Jonah. And it obediently and doubtless gladly spews up this indigestible object and swims off with a flick of its tail, its distinguished mission accomplished. End of quote. Now the writer is really wanting us, the reader, to get this. That Jonah is not getting dropped off by an angel. That he, he, is, he is not getting some kind of a special delivery by a, fiery, by a fiery chariot. How was Jonah delivered? The whale tossed his cookies. He lost his lunch. And Jonah ends up on the shore. He is not a tragic figure covered with suffering. He's not a heroic figure covered with glory. He's a ridiculous figure covered with, with, with whatever's inside of a, a whale. And there is a reason why the, the writer is writing this and that's very important. You see, the most basic way that you can divide up all stories is to divide them up in a couple of different categories. A story is either a tragedy where joy loses and life loses, and hope loses, and every character loses, or it's a comedy in the classic sense where joy wins, and, and life wins, and, and hope wins. Now what is Jonah as a story? What would you guess the kind of story Jonah is? A tragedy or a comedy? It's a comedy in the sense that Jonah keeps going down and down and down. But then these unexpected, unusual things keep happening. Jonah, who ought to be the hero of the story, he's told by God to go east. He runs to the west, which is kind of strange. And a prophet who ought to know better thinks that he can flee from God by sailing to Tarshish in a foreign country. And on top of that, there's this Gentile captain, for crying out loud, who is calling the man of God, the prophet, up out of his sleep in order to pray and to approach his God in order that the storm not destroy them all. And all of these pagan sailors, who, by the way, in, you know, in the ancient world were not noted for their piety, they're the ones who get converted to the God of Israel. And that ship, headed to Tarshish, becomes a place of worship out in the middle of the water. And Jonah thinks that he is, he's going to drown. But God appoints a fish. He sends this, this fish to pick him up and to deliver him. And in case anybody hasn't caught on yet, the, the writer throws in that regurgitation scene, and the point of it all is that Jonah thought he was dead, that, that this is the worst. To Israel, this is as bad as it gets. To end up in the heart of the sea, running away from God, the depths of the grave, going down. And, and it turns out that when human beings are going down, down, and down, God is still great. That God is still doing something great. And from God's perspective, death and the grave and shale and, and, and the bottom of the sea and all of that, that's really not a problem at all. And then get this. Human stiff-necked rebellion and stubbornness 
Jonah saying, you know what? I hear what you're saying. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Tarshish. That kind of rebellion, that kind of disobedience, not a problem at all. And God laughs at it all. God laughs at death and laughs at the grave. And Jonah ends up getting vomited onto the shore. Jonah is a joy book. And one day we'll understand that joy always wins. That in this kind of story, in the most wonderful sense of of that word, there is another character between every line in this book. Jonah, we're told, is from the town of Gath, Affair, which is just a few miles from Nazareth. Does anybody remember another prophet who came from Nazareth? And Jonah was asleep on a boat in a storm and everybody else on the boat panicked and woke him up and by his actions, by his actions, the storm is stilled. Does that remind you of anybody in the Bible? And Jonah's name means the dove, which is a name that was always given to a beloved one, a, a, a beloved child, a a, a, a beloved uh, uh, family member. And does anybody else remember someone who went down into the water and came up out of the water and a dove descended and the voice said, this is my beloved son. And then Jesus, at the end, toward the end of his life, he said that he had one sign to give to a sorry and tragic world and he called it the sign of Jonah. And in Matthew 12, he says, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then comes the third day. You see, the message of Jonah is a little foretaste of the victory of Jesus who comes to meet us, you and and me, at the lowest place, at the lowest place we can imagine. And, and says death losses and that, and, that, and that the sin in your life and the sorrow you experience, the sadness, all of that gets turned into joy. That, that death loses. And the hold that sin has on your life, it loses. And the sorrow you feel because of what's happened to you or because of what you've done by your own hands loses. And sadness loses. And joy wins. The third day. And this is, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 when talking about that, that, that greatest of, all, of enemies to human beings, death. He says, where, O death, is your victory? When you think about it through the lens of the cross of Jesus and His resurrection. Where, O death, is your victory and where, O death, is your sting? The point is that God always gets the last laugh. You know, I was thinking, what if when the resurrection comes one day and the, and, the, and the dead in Christ shall rise, as will happen one day? And, and what if when disease and aging, when cancer and heart disease and when AIDS and dementia have done their worst and we, we go all the way down to the grave and then we go through to the other side? What if in that day life is so good? What if our healing and redemption are so complete? What if our new bodies are so wonderful? And, and what if the community of the saints is so rich? What if our fellowship with our God in that day is so sweet going into eternity that we look at each other and we say, that was what I was afraid of? That's what I was afraid of? 
I thought that death was so awful. There's really nothing at all. And on that day, it will seem like all of that was a joke. It has no power before God. And that's part of the the message of this book. Jonah hits bottom in there and there. God is greater than ever before. So what do you do? What do you do today? What do you do today when it, it you may not literally be in the belly of a fish, but it seems like a very long time that you've been in a dark place. And you've just been hanging on. And you've been trying and you've been trying, you've been gripping that, that log in the middle of that stream and trying to stay afloat and your your arms are getting tired and you feel just like sinking and you feel like you're at the bottom but there's still a bottom yet to go and you feel like letting go and hitting it. One of the things that Jonah teaches us is that you pray. You pray to God. You pray to the God who is doing great things, not only in the book of Jonah, but He's doing great things in our world even today. You look around this audience this morning and you can see great things that He's done in each person's life. At the, at the top of that list has taken a sinner and turned him into a saint. But as you go down the list of things that have been accomplished by God, you see how lives have been turned around. Addictions have been broken. There has been joy in the place of sorrow and unhappiness and sadness that have been there for a long time. That there is a sense of peace when people were feeling anxiety and they were feeling stressed out. There's that, that, that peace that passes understanding. And for people who have been thinking that their lives are out of control and that they are at the mercy of events that are taking place not only in history but even closer to home, in the home, God has given them courage and God has given them transformation and that God has given them a, 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 a hand up out of the pit in order to stand on the rock which is God Himself. What do you do, church, when you find yourself in a place you never expected to find yourself? whatever it might be. You look up and you pray to God. Is it your fault? Probably. But even so, you pray. You feel like, you feel like your motives are a little bit mixed and maybe you're just doing it. To tr- you pray anyway. Because you know what God is saying to you? Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Everyone who's tired and burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. And maybe you're in that place right now. You know what you need to do? You need to pray. And you need to begin by praying with the church and having the church pray with you as you pray. As you pray, the church prays with you. Your shepherds pray for you. Brothers and sisters, praying for you in the name, in the name of Jesus Himself. In Jesus' name. They pray for you. They say your name into the ear of God for you. And during the singing of this song, and while we're all standing, we ask you to come down and to talk to these shepherds and to let them know what's going on and, and go to that place of prayer with them. Or maybe you've hit bottom and you don't really feel like you can pray to God because you don't have a relationship with Him that you, maybe you think God doesn't know you. Here's the thing. God does know you. 
God created you. And He knows every fiber of your being. He knows everything about you. And He has been waiting for the day that you stop running from Him. You stop running towards Tarshish. And you stop, you, you stop running away from His will. And you stop running away from His power and authority and love and mercy and grace. And you turn in repentance. And you come to Him. And in His love, love that allowed His Son, in love, a Son who volunteered and said, this I'll do in love, took your sins, every bad thing that you've ever done, even if it's one thing or a billion things, and placed them on that Son so that you didn't have to bear the consequence of it. He's saying, come to me and participate in that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by being baptized and your sins being washed away and being filled with the Spirit and living a life in which the the presence of God is more real to you each and every day as you grow in the knowledge and in in the, the wisdom of God Himself. Does that describe you? Does that describe you? You know what to do. And you're being asked to do it now as we stand and sing together. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power?